Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. It was when you came on your official visit, they played like the old school movie with the four horsemen and uh, the old school Notre Dame, and you got the... And there's a... Now that's a follow-up question, <laughs> Eric Hansen. That's a heck of a follow-up question right there. If you can be physical, and if you can take the breath out of somebody by hitting them, man, it don't matter how many yards or, or what the offense is or what the schemes are, that, that'll always be the same. But I still think there's a place for Notre Dame and the ideals of Notre Dame football in the wide, broad scope of the sport right now. Uh, Eric, I'm hoping I don't run into you in South Bend because you'll probably cost me around a drink. From the South Bend Tribune and ND Insider, this is the Pot of Gold Podcast with Tyler James and Eric Hansen. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Pot of Gold, at ND Insider Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football for ND Insider and the South Bend Tribune. Preseason camp is just around the corner, with Notre Dame returning to practice on Saturday. So it's time we put away our vacation luggage, dust off the microphones, and start talking football again. Uh, who better to preview the college football season than with Phil Steele? whose annual college football preview has become the go-to for many reporters and fans alike. Phil, thanks for joining us. Hey, a real pleasure. And uh, guys, I got to tell you, a lot better this year than last year when we were wondering if we're going to have a football season, huh? Yeah, Uh, that was terrible. (laughs) That's actually where I wanted to start, Phil. How much more enjoyable was putting together this year's preview than last year with all the uncertainty during the pandemic? Oh my goodness. I tell you what, I talked to, uh, this year I talked to 110 of the 130 head coaches out there. And uh, last year with first year head coaches, I would send them over my sheets, which have every player on the team, all my notes on every player, all the stats on every player. And then they, what the coaches usually do is put me in the right order. They get my four deep, five deep and in the right order. Tell me something about the players. Uh, you know, strengths, weaknesses, things like that. The conversations generally take about an hour. Last year when I was talking to the first-year head coaches, they would get my sheets and go, well, Phil, I think you know more about the team than I do because I haven't even seen these guys practice yet. And uh, so this year, talking to everybody post-spring like I did, it was much more enjoyable and learned a lot more about their teams. Phil, uh, I I can remember, if, if, if I'm remembering right, you actually put out, supplemental pages to update your magazine that must have been a nightmare but i'm sure your subscribers and customers appreciated it yeah last year this when the schedules changed what we did is uh and they were changing on a weekly basis we updated our website to have the schedules on them and folks would send me a picture of their magazine and with all the pasted in schedules in the magazine, since all the doggone schedules changed, uh, pages, the magazine was about 500 pages thick for those folks that spent the time, like myself, to actually paste the schedules in the magazine. Phil, switching to focusing on Notre Dame a little, what do you think will be the one thing that determines if Notre Dame can get back to the college football playoff this season? 
Uh, I'm going to focus in on my my two biggest question marks would probably be the offensive line and then the receivers because I'm I'm happy with the defense despite the loss of uh, Jeremiah Wusa Kamara. Uh, I look at the the off the quarterbacks, the running backs, good shape. I would say the offensive line, which last year was a veteran group and loses four starters, and the receiving core would be my two biggest question marks. I can understand because I'll tell you, there's some really good talent in both those units, but they haven't played very much or they've been injured or there's been some kind of derailment with, especially with the wide receivers. Kevin Austin is, I mean, if you ask me to rate him on Notre Dame's roster, I might put him at number five, but he has six career catches. <laughs> so <laughs> it's very difficult to evaluate um, those guys. The, the interesting thing I thought was, you know, you ha- I love that you have the experience charts, and Notre Dame is 128 out of 130, but I also noted Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State are all pretty near the bottom of that. How do you, how do you project teams that are so little on experience? How do you kind of rectify that? How do you project and know which ones are going to be able to overcome that lack of experience? Yeah, and I, I think, Eric, in a normal year with what Notre Dame has returning, they would probably rank, I'm going to say about 78 or 80 on my experience chart. But uh, this year, uh, you know, as mentioned, when I talked to the the 110 head coaches going over to team with them, almost every coach had the same story. Phil, we normally go into spring scratching to get a two deep together, enough to play the spring game. And this year we went three deep. Everybody's got 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 returning starters due to the fact that everybody did not lose a year of eligibility. And really about the only teams in the country that did lose anything was the four teams from the playoff last year, which all have nine, 10, 11 returning starters and all lose their starting quarterback. So that was a big part of them being down there. I think it's going to be an unusual year for the experience chart. But as we saw last year with Alabama, Alabama lost a first-round draft pick quarterback, two first-round draft pick receivers, three starting offensive linemen, and had just five starters back on defense. Uh, it turned out to be a pretty good season for them overall. You know, I was looking at your – in the magazine at your draft guide, and you had uh, Jack Cohn above Ian Book in that. And then uh, I think in quarterbacks overall, he was maybe number 45 among the starters this year and so forth. So my questions after babbling that part out is, do you think Jack Cohn can be better than Ian Book do you think Jack Cohn can be better than Phil Jakovic? Uh, I think this year Jakovic's going to put up better stats. Uh, you know, the, the year he had at BC, second year in the system, uh, and what he's got returning there at receiver and improved offensive line, I think Jakovic's going to have a really good year. Now, Jack Cohn this year I think can easily match Ian Book and perhaps even top him. Now, Book did only throw three interceptions last year. That's going to be the key to me because really the most important part of a quarterback is taking care of the ball. But in Jack Cohn's year as a starter with Wisconsin, he only had five interceptions, so he should do well there. I like the fact he led Wisconsin to a 10-2 and record, uh, that they were uh, also number 10 in the country at the end of the regular season before losing their uh, two postseason games. So I think if I'm a Notre Dame fan, I would say at least what Ian Book produ- produced last year and quite possibly better. Phil, you mentioned Notre Dame's offensive line earlier as being one of the biggest question marks you have on the team, and that's fair given the unknowns go- going into the season. But 
uh, probably rare as well, given how well Notre Dame's offensive line has been uh, under Brian Kelly. When was the last time you had so many questions about the Irish offensive line? And then uh, to go with that, how much of an impact do you think Kane Madden, the transfer from Marshall, will make for the Irish? Kane Madden was a big-time pickup there. And it's not like Notre Dame's completely inexperienced. Yes, they lose four starting offensive linemen. It does uh, hurt that there was two second-round draft picks and a third-round draft pick. Those are tough to replace. But Zeke Corral's got uh, uh, had two career, or two starts last year. Uh, Kane Madden is a big-time pickup. He's a guy that uh, is an NFL-caliber uh, left guard, one that started nine games last year, but he's been a three-year starter there. I had him third-team All-American last year. It tells you how, how much I thought of him. Uh, Josh Lugg is a guy that has started eight games in his career. And Blake Fisher, a guy that came in for the spring. I mean, and we've seen a lot of true freshmen step right in and do well. I think Blake Fisher can come in. And then how about uh, Christofik, uh, you know, another guy at the, the right guard spot. I think he's a, a possible NFL caliber guy. There's no denying the talent Notre Dame has on the offensive line. I think they'll perform better than expected. Phil, how do you feel like uh, Marcus Freeman's philosophy, defensive philosophy is going to translate in his first year at Notre Dame? And he's done a knockout job on the recruiting trail, but on the field, how do you think that's going to play out? Well, they had a pretty good defense coordinator last year in Clark Lee, and I don't think Freeman's going to come in and completely drastically change the defense, uh, especially after the way Notre Dame's defense performed last year. I mean, only giving up 19.7 points per game in this era of offensive football, much better than that during the regular season. And the talent is there throughout the board. So if I'm Freeman, I know they're shifting. Uh, they moved uh, to more of a 4-2-5 scheme in 17, but last year it appeared they were more back to a 4-3 I think there's going to be minor tweaks to the system, but I don't. I wouldn't make drastic changes. Phil, certainly Notre Dame fans know how important Kyle Hamilton is to the Notre Dame defense, um, and you have him ranked uh, or included on your first-team All-American list. I, I'm curious, how, how does he compare to the other top safeties in the country in your mind? Well, I mean, 6'4", 219, a guy with his starting experience. I like the way he hits. I like the way he covers. To me, he's a complete free safety. So having him on my first team All-American team pretty much tells you I think he's one of the top guys in the country. And uh, Notre Dame should be very thankful he opted to come back this year. Phil, kind of bigger picture with me. Uh, you know, there's so many things that happen this offseason. We have uh, the 12-team playoff uh, proposal. We have uh, name, image, and likeness. Oklahoma and Texas decide they're going to leave. Uh, the Big 12 to go to the SEC, um, and then uh, the president of the NCAA talks about maybe deregulating uh, the NCAA's authority and making it less decentralized, rewriting their whole playbook. Where do you think the end game are – we, are we moving towards actually a better college football model, or is there going to be a lot of chaos in the years ahead, do you think? Yeah, I think the next couple of years, definitely a lot of chaos. And I think where it's going to come from, the NIL, I think we'll see now all of a sudden paying recruits maybe. Uh, you know, where what used to be uh, something under the table now is over the table. And uh, it, I think the rich are going to get richer through the NIL. A 12-team playoff, I think, would, would benefit the group of five teams. They, they finally get a chance to say, hey, we can get there. And uh, I've always thought we were heading to four 16-team super conferences. Uh, so I've thought the last three years, it appears – 
the SEC's move may have cemented it, uh, as long as they're not trying for more expansion that we don't know about. Uh, I, I think we're going to have a lot of upheaval the next couple of years. And being a traditional guy, you know, I've, I've always liked traditional rivalries, the tradition of college football. It's it's a little tough, but uh, I think we'll manage it and uh, and see how it all comes out. But, yeah, as far as where we're headed, I don't know if there's anybody in the country that knows exactly where we're headed. Phil, Notre Dame gets some of its tradition back on its schedule this year with not having to play in the ACC, a complete ACC schedule. Um, USC, Stanford, Navy back on the, on the uh schedule this season uh Notre Dame's top four opponents this year are all sort of clumped together in, in your power poll with USC Wisconsin North Carolina and Cincinnati which which game do you think Notre Dame is the most vulnerable in losing against those four guys uh I would say of those four that you mentioned I give uh, uh you know the North Carolina games at home in South Bend so that's a big plus there the Cincinnati game's a little tricky in the fact that Notre Dame would be playing its fifth straight game, fresh off a game against a physical Wisconsin, and Cincinnati's going to be fresh off a bye. Now, Marcus Freeman does have knowledge of Cincinnati, so I think that really helps the uh, the, the uh, analysis of the team prior to it. So I think that's a, a big plus there. Uh, the USC game, they're at home. USC's off a bye. So I'm going to circle in and, and just say the only one that's not at home, the one in Chicago against Wisconsin. And ironically, if I went out and, and looked at all the sports books that are out there that have published lines, and, and there's there's actually a line on every Notre Dame game already in the preseason, that's the only game this year Notre Dame is an underdog, and they're a one-and-a-half-point underdog against Wisconsin. Wisconsin, by the way, I have my number two surprise team in the country. I don't think any of the four games will be easy. I've got the, the Irish a slight favorite in the other three. But I would say of those four, Wisconsin is the uh, – the one I'd be most concerned about. And it is a game where, you know, it's Notre Dame's fourth straight week and Wisconsin's off a bye. Bill, you mentioned Wisconsin being your number two surprise team. I believe USC was your number three surprise team. What what do you what makes the Trojans uh, get that spot on your list? Well, the Trojans were a team last year that went undefeated in the Pac-12 and then um, ended up losing the, uh, the Pac-12 title game. And this year they are loaded. Uh, going over the team with Coach Helton, uh, he really likes his quarterback, Keaton Slovis, who led a lot of late comebacks last year. And as he mentioned, a lot of folks say, well, all he did was lead all those comebacks. He wasn't great in the first three quarters, but he's like, that's exactly what I want of a quarterback is to be at his best when the game is on the line. They added Keontae Ingram at running back this year. Dangerous receiving core. They added Jake Smith from Texas to go along with Drake London, Brew McCoy. Uh, and then you look at the offensive line this year. should be the best offensive line they had in years. Defensively, I rate them the number 10 linebacking core in the country. I thought they really adapted well uh, to the new defensive schemes uh, last year of Todd Orlando, and now I've had a full year to get into those schemes. So I believe USC could very well be the most talented team in the uh, Pac-12 this year, and they're, they're going to be a big-time threat for Notre Dame. Phil, I, I'm curious, kind of from a national perspective, where would you rate Brian Kelly as far as college head coaches, top five, top 10, top 20? And then do you think Notre Dame can win a national title under him before he is finished at Notre Dame? Uh, I do think they can win a national title under Brian Kelly. He's a guy that's come close, got him in the playoff. They've had their moments. Uh, I would put him in the top 10. 
Uh, I usually put my top guys are ones that uh, sort of have less to work with, like a Pat Fitzgerald in Northwestern, and yet get great results out of it. A, a Kirk Ferentz of Iowa would probably be up there. But I would definitely put Brian Kelly as, as one of the top ten coaches in college football. And I do believe, if he sticks around, uh, which he should, that uh, in the next few years, Notre Dame's capable of getting there. Phil, you've certainly carved out a, a nice niche for yourself and being like the go-to uh, preview guy in college football. Where I'm curious, in your time having done that, where have you become better as a prognosticator now than when you first started, and what have been the biggest lessons that you've sort of learned over that time? Well, uh, I think the uh, – actually, I was, I was a better handicapper back uh, prior to the magazine because what I would do each year is do all this homework and have all my surprise teams and uh, under, but I had them, I was holding the deck and holding my cards to my chest and nobody knew what I had. So we'd enter the first week of the season and, you know, my number one surprise team would be a a seven point underdog. And now my number one surprise team turns out to be a favorite all the time because I've blown it and I've given away how I feel about each and every team. But, uh, you know, I, so I would say that handicapping wise, you know, I'm still the, the, the the guy that uh, can do that. But once again, I, I, I lessen my odds because I've given away my stuff in the preseason. But, uh, I think where it makes me better is talking to the coaches and the amount of information we put on the page is simply amazing. You know, uh, I go four or five deep at every single position. And it's like in in this era where, I mean, if you had 130 media guides on your desk, first of all, it'd be rare because not everybody's printing media guides anymore. But you would have to open it up, look for the information and where they have it, and all the media guides are different. And also the websites. You know, when you go to a website, you click on it, they're all set up differently. So if I asked you, you know, what's the score of Notre Dame and Ball State from three years ago? Who's the starting left tackle for Notre Dame? Who was the leading rusher for Notre Dame? And you didn't know, or I was just skipping around different schools you know exactly where to look on every page of my magazine they're all laid out the same i could ask you who the you know uh, a score from liberty from five years ago you could close your eyes and point to the part of the page it's on it means that uh, you can answer a 10 question quiz like that in a matter of less than a minute whereas if you went to all 10 websites by the time you found that information and poked around you're probably talking about 10 15 minutes so it really is the quickest easiest reference tool out there so I got a two-parter to finish up with you. One is, how did you get interested in all this in the first place? And two, can you tell our listeners where they can find your content? I believe I know where it is, but I'd like you to direct them there. You're a heck of a guy, Eric. I appreciate that. Uh, I was I was actually right, writing a football newsletter, as mentioned. I was doing handicapping. I remember it was 1989. I went 53 and 23. I was doing really good. I was just doing the research. And what I would do, and the reason I got into the magazine business, was I would buy the 20 magazines that were out back then and write all the notes down in my notebook. I couldn't even come up with a two deep on any team. Even reading 20 different magazines, it was the same few star players on every team and very little mention. So that's why I think my magazine got a lot of, uh, of notoriety. Was It gave you all that information. And you can get the magazine. This year we went exclusive. We went to Barnes & Noble and Books A Million. Maybe hitting a few other sites in the next couple of weeks because it gets sold out so quickly. But Barnes & Noble, Books A Million are the best places to get the magazine. Or you can go to the website, which is philsteel.com. We've got things like Phil Steele Plus, my Inside the Press Box newsletter, and things like that. PhilSteele.com has got a lot of stuff, and it's updated all season long, by the way. So Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, PhilSteele.com. 
And, and I should mention too, that there's a digital form of this. That's what I have uh, because I have so many, uh, my grandkids hide stuff here. So it's easier <laughs> to have it on the computer than have it in, in uh, magazine form. And the beautiful thing about that this year, Eric, is uh, I partner with IMG Learfield. They took over that part of the operation for me. They are allowing me to update the pages on the wow. digital version all the way to the start of the season. So if a player's out for the year, we'll have them circled on your digital thing. That way you're not taking a magic marker and writing on your digital notebook there. <laughs> uh, or if a player got added via transfer, it'll be added on your digital version. So uh, it, it's, it's a huge upgrade this year. And, and so keep checking that. You'll see all these transfers are added in on your pages. That's great, Phil. We really appreciate you taking time to talk to us today, informing us about the upcoming season and obviously all the years past where you've done the same uh, through your magazine. So best of luck this season. Hey, I, I enjoy reading your guys' work for sure. It's, it's really gets me a lot of uh, information on Notre Dame football. So you guys keep doing what you're doing and really enjoyed talking football with you today. All right. Now it's time for Place Your Bets. How much you want to make a bet I can throw a football over the mountains? This is our segment dedicated to the Degenerates. Let's make some prop bets for the 2021 season. First one I have for us, Eric, is over under 85 tackles for Kyle Hamilton this season. Well, I think he had 63 last year, and that's in probably one fewer game than he'll play this year. Uh, and if he has 85, that's too many. That means other people aren't doing their jobs. I think he's going to have more interceptions. I think he's going to have some sacks. Uh, I think they're going to be able to move him around a little bit and not just have to play center field. Uh, he'll have pass breakups, but I think 85 is too high of a tackle total. Well, I think he's going to go over 85. I, I think he, I think he's going to be needed, and I, I think they're going to – Marcus Freeman is going to have him heavily involved in all aspects of the defense. So he's going to cover a lot of ground. Certainly that's – what we expect, but being in position to make tackles. Aloe Gilman had 94 tackles in 2018, so 85 isn't unreasonable. Um, so I think, like you mentioned, he had 63 last season, um, missed a game, and then also the schedule was one game shorter. So I think I think it's within reach. So I'm going to go over 85 tackles for Kyle Hamilton. Okay. Next one I have is for us is over under 1,350 rushing yards for Kyron Williams. Well, there have been three Notre Dame players in history that have gotten that in a season, um, and that was um, Alan Pinkett, Josh Adams, and Vegas Ferguson. Vegas has the most at 1437. Vegas had 301 carries the year he got 437, and uh, Pinkett had 252. Josh Adams had 206. Kyron was at a 211 carries. Last year, he's not going to get to 211 this year. One, Chris Tyree is going to carry the ball more than he did last year. And I think Sebo and maybe even Audric Estime is going to have a role in some short yardage stuff. The other thing, and just talking to Kyron for the story I did for him for our preview um, was that season preview was that Kyron was lining up as a wide receiver a lot this summer. Um, so I just don't think he's going to get the carries and the opportunities to get up there into those kind of numbers. He had 1125 last year. And I think if he gets to that number this year in 13 games, that'll be a good number for him. 
Yeah, I, I'm going to go with over. I, I, st- I do think that uh, Chris Tyree is going to take some of those opportunities away from him, and Williams, like you mentioned, will be using the passing game more. But I still think there's a chance he gets over that 1350 mark that I set as our line. Um, with a new offensive line too, huh? Yeah, I, I I think I mean part of part of what weighed into my decision was last year he had five games that he rushed for fewer than seventy yards, um, and I just don't see that happening as frequently um, this year. Um, I because I, they're going to need him even more than they needed him last year. I think um, so. I'm because I, I mean you got to think of all the rushing yards that Ian Book had. I, I know obviously those weren't all in rushing situations; those come off of passing opportunities sometimes, but that production needs to come somewhere. And I'm not sure it's all going to come from Jack Cohn's arm. Um, so I'm going to go over the 1350 rushing yards. Next one I have for us is over under seven and a half sacks for Isaiah Foskey. Well, since 2007, there have been four players that have done that. Uh, Julian Okora and Tillery in 2018 each had eight. Romeo Okora had eight in 2015. And Stefan Tuitt had 12 and 2012. Um, you know, Foskey, I think, has that potential. It, I think a lot of it depends on how much he's on the field. But just from what Marcus Freeman has been talking about with his scheme, how Cincinnati operated, they seem to get sacks from a lot more places. Uh, so I think their team sack total will be up but I don't necessarily think somebody's going to get over that seven and a half threshold. So I'm going just under. All right. Yeah. Ade Ogandesi was just under last year with seven sacks. Um, it, it is, it is kind of surprising when you talk about those, the, or I guess maybe surprising is the right word, but maybe almost stunning that they haven't had more players get more than eight sacks um, uh, in such a long time. So I, I, I think Isaiah is a more dynamic pass rusher than Ade was. Um, and I, I do think that Marcus Freeman and Mike Elston will put him in more positions to make plays. And, and I think the fact that they can generate pass rush from more places on the defense will benefit Isaiah in the long run. Um, so I, I will pick him to go over. I don't think he's going to go a lot over, but I think he will be able to just uh, get past that seven, seven and a half sack total. Next one I have, Eric, is over under seven and a half touchdown catches for Michael Mayer. You know, it was stunning to me that he had two last year. <laughs> yeah, I know. And, and really, the most on the team, and I wouldn't even know this if somebody had asked me, I, there's no way I would have said Ben Skoranek led them in touchdown catches with five. Yeah, uh, two games. They, yeah, but they didn't. <laughs> They didn't throw a lot of TD passes last year. They ran the ball in right. more than they threw it in. Um, I just think Michael Mayer is um, going to be a premier offensive player in the country, not just at Notre Dame. And I think if Notre Dame is going to improve in the red zone, they've got to get him the ball down there. So I'm going to say over. I'm going to be bold and say yes, over on Michael Mayer. So you're going to probably disagree with me since we've done it every question so far. <laughs> and that is in, true indeed. And uh, this isn't me just reacting to what you're saying and <laughs> going the other way either. This is what I had uh, forecasted prior to us recording. I, I, I'm going to go under eight would equal Miles Boykin in 2018. Um, and even though Mayor is special, I agree with you that he, I mean, he could be one of the best players um, in the country at the tight end position. 
I still need to see him used more in the red zone than he was last year to feel confident enough to take that over um, the seven and a half. So I'm going to go under, but certainly certainly would not be surprised if Michael Mayer gets over that number and probably would be surprised if he's not the leading touchdown catch reception guy for Notre Dame uh, this coming season. Uh, And then the last one I have for us, Eric, is which player will be mentioned the most in Brian Kelly's first press conference on Saturday? (laughs) Well, I would think it's going to be Jack Cohn. That's kind of the player that I I have trouble deciding what we're going to see out of him in August. Um, And so I know that I'll have questions about Jack Cohn, so I guess I'm just going to base it on that. Yeah, I, I think Jack Cohn makes the most sense to me. I, I thought it could have gone a number of different ways. I think there's a, I mean, there's a lot of interesting people to talk about. Um, certainly, Kevin Austin Jr. Um, what's how healthy is he? Uh, Kyle yeah. Watson, um, what what are the expectations for him? And also, I would imagine like if there's NIL discussions, that Kyle Hamilton would be included in that kind of discussion because he's played such a prominent role in in having some deals early on here. And then the last uh, option is someone we will discuss in our next question. Um, or our first question of the question segment is Jordan Battelle. There certainly have been a lot of um, questions about what his status is heading into the season right now. And uh, so I, I think we're going to be leaning on Brian Kelly to give us that answer if it's not uh, publicized before Saturday. So um, he could certainly end up being the top option. But I'm going to go with Jack Cohn because I do think there's a broad appeal to the quarterbacks in general. And just because there is such big shoes to fill with Ian book gone um, from last season and um, Jack Cohn, not necessarily guaranteed the starting job either. So people are going to want to know what that quarterback competition looks like. And if that still exists going into the preseason camp. All right. Now it's time for questions. Just tell me when you guys, are, are we done with USC? Everybody's done. You guys are kidding me. That's all you want to talk about. All right. Let's go. You can submit questions to us on Twitter before each podcast. I'm at T James NDI and Eric's at E Hansen NDI. First one I have for us, Eric, as I mentioned, um, is from at Dio Carroll one. What's going on with Jordan Botello? And if he isn't available this year, how does that impact the two deep? You know, right now, no one has published a story to my knowledge on this. This has been more kind of message board. Uh, speculation and just in, you know, Tyler and I just got back from vacation. So we've been chasing this a little bit and we really haven't gotten anything concrete with it that we can share and report at this time. And I want to be responsible in our reporting that we have concrete details. If we're going to be able to report something, Um, it's a question that's going to come up Saturday with Brian Kelly and I'm confident we'll get an answer then if not before, if, if there were some reason Jordan Botello wouldn't play as much or wouldn't play at all this season, um, you know, there's not a lot of proven depth at that Viper position, the weak, you know, weak side defensive end position. I think some of the things they could look at there is Foskey simply playing more. Um, he can't play every down. You could think about moving Justin Adam Alola from his, um, from the big end position, you know, kind of tag teaming with Myron Tagovailoa Mosa, moving him over to the weak side. He's played that before. Uh, you could hope that Osita Kwanu, 
you know, is able to make a move on the depth chart or move on the contribution chart anyways, you know, the former linebacker, you may be able to even take a linebacker like Maris Leofau and use him situationally. Um, and then, uh, you know, again, the Justin Adam Malola experiment works a lot better if Nano Safa Mensa and Alex uh, Ehrensberger are ready to contribute a little bit more at that big end spot behind um, Myron. You know, Riley Mills is a guy that can play on the edge, but he projects more as like the big end than he would, uh, you know, the twitchy kind of Viper player. So that's that's kind of how I see that breaking down. Yeah, I think that's a good breakdown, and I'll hop, I'll start with my answer on that I agree with most of what you list there. I think um, the pressure would be on Isaiah Foskey to perform at a high level. Um, I do think Justin Adamola could move over. Maybe Nana Osafo Mensa could move over too, but um, that, that's harder for me to sort of project given that he was coming off an injury last season. Um, so I'd like to really see what he looks like in camp to see if that could be an option. And I, I, I do think that, you can't rule out that Marcus Freeman finds a way to tweak his scheme when, for instance, like what I'm imagining is like if Foskey's not in the game, then maybe they do more of a three, three man front in certain situations um, and don't necessarily replace Foskey at that Viper end position in, in times when he's taken off the field and just sort of run a little bit of a different scheme. Marcus Freeman wants to be multiple and, and throw different looks at opposing offenses. So maybe that's a, a way that you can do that and sort of, cover up maybe a weakness there in, the, in your depth of the position if Jordan Patello isn't, isn't available. Um, the, the reporting on the Jordan Patello situation is uh, thin at this point. I, I, and I, I think it's, it's, I feel like we're sort of chasing a ghost right now. We're not really sure exactly what we're trying to figure out because the reporting, at least to my knowledge that I've seen actually concrete details is, hasn't been a lot. Um, and I, Usually, like if I can't confirm something and someone has reported details, I'm happy to give them credit for that. But I don't know that I have, I've seen anyone that has uh, has been able to report a clear understanding of what's going on um, or what isn't going on. I, I know Tim Priester of Irish Illustrated did some reporting on what he believed the issue might not be, and that included academics and recreational drugs. Um, so credit for to Tim to um, reporting that on his message board. Um, but I, I think there's a lot of unanswered questions still. Um, and sometimes, uh, sometimes, sometimes the reporting is supposed to happen before, before something leaks out. Whereas it seems like other, it, this has sort of happened in reverse where there may be, or may not be something going on, but the details aren't there. And I know at least how we operate, usually we have, the, we'd like to provide those details when we do report something like that or speculate about something like that. So it's a tough situation. I'm sure, I mean, there's probably people that may be listening to this, that this is the first time they're hearing about it. I know when this question was actually asked, sent to me, um, when I asked for questions on the podcast, I wasn't even aware that something was going on yet. because I was still catching up on Monday from coming back from vacation. So I was like, oh man, I guess really, we, I need to start looking into whatever's going on here. So um, it's uh, still to be determined what's going on. Hopefully we have more clarity by the end of the week, like you mentioned with our, an opportunity to talk to Brian Kelly. Um, I know that may be a little bit frustrating to not know exactly what's going on, but that's sort of the process we're in right now. Next question is from Joe Esquire at Sad Irish Fan 13. What are your predictions on the starting five offensive linemen for Notre Dame? 
I'll start at left tackle with Blake Fisher. I think he'll be able to hold on to that. Uh, I'm going to go with Kane Madden at left guard. I think they'll put experience in a returning All-American next to a freshman who's probably going to be an All-American someday, but not this year. Uh, I'm going to put Jarrett Patterson at center and talking to Brian Kelly uh, in early July, that was what he was leaning toward doing. I, I mean, that was what he was determined to do. Now, again, this is taken different. You know, there's been a lot of left turns in this <laughs> yeah. journey. So I don't want to put that down in ink until Saturday when we talk to him. But that was the direction he wanted to go. He felt like it was Jarrett's best position. And I agree. I think that's the best place. That's his best position. And he's one of the three or four best centers in the country. I think that's where he belongs. Yeah. Um, at right tackle, Josh Lug. And so then if Zeke Carell isn't the starting center, which it doesn't appear he's going to be, then I'm going to say Zeke is probably going to be the starting right guard with Rocco Spindler maybe doing a little bit of the tag team thing that Tommy Kramer and uh, Robert Hainsey did a few years ago at right tackle. Sure. Yeah, I, I think you laid that out perfectly. I, I don't know that I have any qualms with what you listed there. I, I would agree with that. I think some people may discount, and maybe rightfully so. I think we, we – we have yet to see that. So I think it's certainly going to be an open competition at that right guard position, whether or not Zeke Carell can sort of handle the guard spot if he's not equipped to do that. But I think if they were at some point, they were so confident in him at center that they were willing to move Jarrett Patterson to left tackle. To me, that tells you that he, in my opinion, he should be able to handle the right guard spot. Now, maybe that's not true. Maybe there are certain things about playing guard that he can't adapt to. Maybe he's not strong enough, but I, I do. I think, yeah, he, he's had another season or another offseason in the program to keep growing and adapting and maturing. Um, so I, I, I would put him as the leader in that competition right now. Rocco's there. Maybe one of the veterans who haven't been able to break through yet can get in that mix as well. But I think sort of laying it out the way you have and what sort of what have I experienced, uh, imagined as well is sort of balancing the line in terms of experience and, and um, inexperience. And I think – probably playing pretty much everyone at their best position, except maybe Z Carell. Maybe Z Carell's not best position is actually center and not guard. But if that's the one position where you have the biggest question mark at, then I think that's okay if you, you, you're willing to move him there. Um, it solves your backup center problem too, because if you needed, you know, if Jared Patterson got hurt, you'd be ready to plug Z Carell in before. I mean, they invested so much in Dylan Gibbons at right. center and, and then he transferred. So, this is a pretty good scenario, I think. Yeah, and I, I mean, I wouldn't 100% rule out moving Lug to right guard if another right tackle emerges as a better option than the right yeah. guard competition. But um, the feedback from the spring was that Josh Lug was really good at right tackle, and they really liked where he was at. And a lot of that was due to his sort of health and feeling better in his body than he had in years past and being able to be um, flexible and nimble enough to play that tackle position rather than being inside a guard. So um, that's what I'm – expecting to see on Saturday. Um, but I think there are plenty of plenty. There's plenty of room left for that to change, but I think that's where the, at least my opinion of what, what the, they'll be on Saturday. And then eventually when they open the season against Florida state as well. Next question I have is from John Mahoney at JC Mahoney 13. How do they plan to improve the red zone offense and what is plan B for field goals? Um, you know, my plan for them to uh, improve 
would be to throw to Michael Mayer more in the red zone. I, I just think he's going to be a monster as a sophomore. I think he was good, really good as a freshman. He's really good with yards after the catch. You know, if you throw it to him on the three, I think he's going to find his way into the end zone a lot. Um, they need better plays on first down. I mean, they need better play calling. And Tommy Reese, I think, would be the first to admit it. But they they kind of got themselves in a bind. It seemed like a lot of times when it was first and goal, they were like at the seven, eight, or nine, and they would then it'd be second and goal from the seven, eight, or nine. That first first down play often was kind of a bust. Um, and 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 you can go from really good in the country to really bad in the country with just a few uh, empty possessions in the red zone. And they had turnovers in the red zone. Um, and they also had um, missed field goals. Um, and so if you can fix those two areas, you're going to at least be above average, if not, you know, toward the top. Yeah, not not to say that they were good last year uh, in red zone, but the numbers were skewed a little bit where – Notre Dame was controlling the ball a lot at the end of games, and so they would end the just the game would end yeah. with the ball in the red zone, and so not necessarily trying to score, score there, so that hurt their red zone uh, efficiency. But I, I, there's certainly room for improvement. I, the personnel is going to be so much different, so I'd expect plenty of new wrinkles. Um, I, I think, like you mentioned, trust Michael Mayer more, be more creative with the running backs, um, and and find ways to use play action better. I think would be the objectives that I would set forth and. Obviously, you need guys to step up at the wide receiver position. Like you mentioned, uh, Ben Skoranek was the touch, the top touchdown getter for Notre Dame last season, and uh, only a f- few of those came into the run zone because he had a couple long touchdown receptions. Um, so they got to get Jack Cohn or whoever the quarterback is needs to establish that relationship with with some receivers and, and trust in them. Um, and so that that will go a long way in improving the red zone uh, offense. As for Plan B for field goals, I still think that. Would need to be Harrison Leonard, um, the walk-on, but we'll see if freshman Josh Bryan, who was recruited with a scholarship, has any say in that. I, I, but but truly, the plan A and B really needs to be Jonathan Doerr rediscovering his confidence because we know that that ability is in him, um, and uh, it's up to him and Brian Pullian to try and find that. I want to add one more thing, maybe in the red zone too. I wouldn't throw out – I wouldn't dismiss the concept of Brian Kelly maybe using Tyler Buckner as a red zone quarterback. We don't know that he is going to do that, but he certainly was open at the end of the spring to have having some kind of niche role for Tyler. He's a better runner than all the other quarterbacks. He's a better athlete. So it'd be interesting to see if he did that as Ian Book did early in the 2018 season before becoming the starter. Sure. Next question we have is from Chris Scheiber at Scheib43. Obviously pure speculation, but do you think Brian Kelly will pull starters earlier this season to get playing time for the second and third string guys, especially get quarterbacks since playing time is the subject of transfers and the fact that they open at Ohio State next season? TB12, meaning Tyler Buckner, needs those real reps in my opinion. Well, you know, I – I think Notre Dame is going to have a really good team in 2022 and they play Ohio state and Clemson both that year. And, uh, I, I, I think that there's something to that part of the question and trying to build depth. Um, I, I don't, I don't buy into at all the whole transfer thing. I mean, 
if you can't get on the field in in an open competition, if you can't carve out playing time, then and you're not interested in a Notre Dame degree, then you probably should transfer. So right. um, if you're afraid of competition. Um, the, the thing about this year's team, though, is there's only nine returning starters. So a lot of these players are going to need as many reps as they can get. Right. And then when you think about, okay, who really needs, you know, as when you're looking at 2022, what are the position groups that you really need to look at? You know, quarterback would be one. I mean, you'd certainly like to get some experience for somebody there. The wide receivers probably too, in that you might have a big turnover at wide receiver mm-hmm. or maybe just Avery Davis. But my sense is Avery Davis, Kevin Austin, at least three out of those five seniors are going to be gone. Um, and then when you look at the other positions, you know, maybe Prince Colley at linebacker you want to get some reps for, um, and, the, and then the young defensive backs. But really your defensive line, by its very nature, they rotate. Right. Um, And your offensive line, you're not, you know, is a position where you don't rotate a lot. And, you know, the tight ends, they all play. So they're, they're, you know, within, you don't have to pull starters. So it's really just a few positions you're looking at. So I'd be on board with that. But I, again, I think you have to play for this year. You never want to just kind of throw out a year and say, well, we're playing for 2022. I think you can do both. Yeah, I'm not sure that the timing of pulling the starters has been an issue. I mean, maybe those backups aren't being asked to do as much when it's finally time for them to come in. I know that was a criticism that some people levied with Phil Dracovic, that when he was coming into the game, he wasn't being asked to run the offense. He was more just being asked to to run out the clock. Um, So maybe that is something that Brian Kelly would consider with, with Tyler Buckner or whoever the backup is. Um, this season, knowing that Jack Cohen's probably only here for one year um, and the, the guys behind him really don't have the experience and really need it. Um, so maybe that is a way to appease what Chris is asking here. Um, but like you said, I, if the kid really wants to transfer. I don't know that playing in garbage time is really going to make a difference, right? I mean, the, the difference is whether or not they see a path to playing time sooner, like next year, or just don't like the coaches or don't like their situation. Um, then say, Hey, you know what? I played, I played in the fourth quarter against Toledo, or I played in the third quarter against Toledo. I'm going to stay here now. Like, I, I don't think that's, that's what is making the difference in a lot of these decisions. It's, it's much greater than that. Um, so I, I don't think that the coaches necessarily should, should keep that in mind. I think I, I understand the need to like making sure guys are developing. And if you don't feel like you can do that in practices and need some game experience for that, it's up to them to figure out a way to do that. And I mean, I would, I would, to me, it, that experience is probably better sprinkled in throughout the game rather than pulling starters and letting those guys get that at the end of the game. So um, I think uh, it's certainly not easy. Um, and sometimes it just depends on whether or not the kid that steps up the next year is talented enough or prepared enough to do it. I mean, um, DJ Uyunglele certainly wasn't experienced when he had to step in for Trevor Lawrence last year, but he, he did a good job with it. Um, and there's plenty of freshmen – throughout the country that step up when asked um, and are ready to play. So, and Notre Dame honestly has had, has done, under Brian Kelly done a really good job with quarterbacks that are inexperienced to their, their first years when they're asked to play is usually sometimes their best years. Um, so I, I don't see that being 
my biggest concern for for Notre Dame's offense going into next season. Like if, if Tyler Buckner hasn't played a ton, I wouldn't necessarily mean that. I w- that wouldn't lead me to believe that Tyler Buckner couldn't have success next season, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Next question is from Wayne Oosteroff at W. Oosteroff. Prediction on how many wide receivers we get this cycle and who are they in your opinion? Well, I think it's going to be three or four. Um, and I think, you know, they have a Morian Walker committed, although there's been some reports about him looking around a little bit. Um, and so we're probably going to have to keep an eye on him for a while in terms of uh, what's going on with we, we, uh, we and the Notre Dame coaching staff. <laughs> yeah. We and the Notre Dame coaching staff. I think, um, Notre Dame is going to get two commitments this week. I think they'll get Tobias Merriweather on Wednesday and CJ Williams on Sunday. And those will be two incredibly huge, um, additions to the class. And then let's say Amorian Walker ends up staying in the class. You know, there's a few other guys that they're looking at. There's Eric Ayunemar. Um, he's the kid from Massachusetts. It's originally from Medicine Hat, Canada. Um, Xavion Bradshaw, uh, Andre Green Jr., and uh, Major Everhart. Major Everhart is actually a running back that Notre Dame projects as a uh, wide receiver. He's got elite speed, not really highly rated running back. I think he's kind of more of a project, but just such great speed that Notre Dame's kind of taken a look at him. So maybe one of those four guys end up with the other three, maybe not. Um so that would be my report there. <laughs> yeah. I, I, one, I'm convinced that you just wanted to say Medicine Hat Canada. That's why you squeezed that in there. Um, but but as for the how many receivers, I, I would go with four, and that's mostly because I think they need to get to four. I, I think it might be harder to do if they can't hold to hold on to a Marion Walker, like you mentioned, who he reportedly visited Michigan last week. Um I do think they're going to keep fighting for him and not just like wave the white flag and say, well, you look somewhere else. So we're not interested in why I don't think Notre Dame's in a position at the wide receiver recruiting to do that, even with the potential of adding Tobias Merriweather and CJ Williams this coming week. Um, so my four would be Walker, Merriweather, Williams, and then a wild card of some sort. Um, I'm not sure if Andre Green Jr. makes a ton of sense alongside that trio, um, but maybe you just take him and worry about that later. Um I'd be more interested in the slot guy like Major Everhart, like you mentioned, or Xavion Bradshaw. Or maybe there's someone that hasn't been offered yet. I, I think we have to remember that um, this recruiting cycle is still sort of impacted by everything that happened with the COVID-19 pandemic and being seeing less of these players. So there may be some seniors that really emerge in this season. So if, if Notre Dame isn't totally sold on those options they have at a fourth wide receiver, maybe it makes sense to wait and see how those – how if there's other guys you get your eye on it, sort of take that next step that you're looking for and then make a move for those guys. So I'll go with four. I think that makes the most sense, especially after the the recent wave of transfers. Um, and if you, if you get stuck with guys that maybe are duplicates of each other, you let them ballot out. And then if someone transfers and you just keep recruiting to replace those guys, but um, Notre Dame needs to have an impactful wide receiver recruiting class and, Right now, it looks like they're in position to do that if Tobias Merriweather and C.J. Williams um, commit to Notre Dame later this week, as we expect. Last question we have is from Cheryl Russo at Cheryl R. Bunch of Numbers. What do you feel will 
or who do you feel will commit to Notre Dame in the next month? That's what I want my uh, Twitter handle to be Eric Hansen, bunch of numbers. <laughs> um, well, as I mentioned, I think they'll get two this week in uh, Tobias Merriweather and CJ Williams, which would be an incredible week. Um, as far as that, beyond that, a lot of the guys that they're looking for are kind of long-termers. They're, they want to stretch this into the fall. A guy that might not is Billy Shrouth. He's just uh, citing – he's an offensive guard from Wisconsin who a lot of people thought would end up at Notre Dame, and then he's really torn between Notre Dame and Wisconsin – I think he could pop for one of those schools at any time. I don't think he's going to try to take this the distance. Um, but again, is it? I say most people that follow recruiting would have thought he would have been committed somewhere by now. Beyond that, maybe some of the 2023s you might see, um, like Drake Bowen, the linebacker from St. John, Indiana, who goes to Andrean High School in Merrillville. Maybe he's a guy. He's you know Notre Dame's been. Uh, working on him for a long time. He's got a big interest in playing baseball, too. And Notre Dame's sudden surge in baseball certainly makes them attractive. So th- those would be kind of the people that I would I would look at. I, I mean, sometimes people move it up. But right now, uh, you know, just from, you know, Emil Walker and, and Lucas and a lot of those guys, I, they want to take fall visits. Right, yeah, and there's nothing in August that's going to change that because there you can't visit in August. You won't be August is a dead period once again. Um, so unless they're sort of already leaning one way, um, you wouldn't think that they would make a decision now and and, and wait to um, September once the season starts and get to on campus for some games um, to to maybe help them with their decision. Um, the only person you didn't mention is 2023 safety Aiden Scholler. He is expected oh, yeah. on August 15th, so that would be yeah. end of the month. And I think as of right now, um, I favor Notre Dame in that recruitment. Um, so it's, it's looking like three likely additions with Tobias Merriweather, C.J. Williams coming this week, and then um, Aiden Scholler later this month. And then we'll see if anyone – the 2023 guys in general are just sort of hard to predict because they're, there's, they're not in a hurry to make that decision. Um, and there usually isn't – like some of the guys that are going to be seniors want to have their decision done before they start their senior season. So that's why you sort of see a rush of commitments in July and August sometimes. But I think that might be a little bit different given the circumstances this year. And especially with where Notre Dame's at in its recruiting class with so many commitments, they're really swinging for guys that they are going to be in tough competitions with right now. So those decisions aren't necessarily on the horizon quite yet. All right, that's it for today's episode of Pot of Gold. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you like what you hear, shoot us some stars and leave a review. Um, sorry for being gone for so long. I, it's actually been almost two months, which seems kind of crazy since the last time we recorded our podcast. But we'll get back to a more frequent recording schedule with practices ahead. Um, so plan to hear from us at some point next week. If you haven't checked out any of our season preview coverage on IndieInsider.com, make sure to take some time to do that this week. And consider subscribing to make sure you have access to all the stories. Until we record again, stick with IndieInsider.com for all your Notre Dame football coverage needs. Mm-hmm.